So like I said before, this is week three of Advent. It's the Sunday when we lit the candle of joy, having already lit hope, peace, and now today, joy together. A celebration, if you will, because I know many of us are, are gathering in ways that we haven't done over the past year and a half. I mean, how many, just by a show of hands and in the chat, have attended an Advent party in, or Christmas party already in some way, shape, or form? Has anyone done that yet? Yeah, we got some? Last year, I bet you hadn't at this point already, and we're already making plans and already uh, doing the different things that we like to do during this season. Because that's the, what we've been talking about, the idea that this season, more than any other, I think, sparks in us this feeling of home, right? Home for the holidays or, you know, chestnuts ro roasting under an open fire or whatever the song that you're familiar with, right, that remind us of home. And at the same time, it's something that reminds us of home. It's also a season for some where we long for a sense of home. Perhaps we are uh, isolated here in this island on the Pacific and all of our family is somewhere mainland or scattered throughout the mainland. And although this is a time when we celebrate home with our nuclear family, or maybe not, we long to be with those that we love that perhaps we are still unable to travel and see or are unable to come and be with us. Or perhaps deeper still, this time, while for many, is a time of joy like we lit for the candle. For some, it's a time remembering the joys of our lives. Because if you know someone who's lost a spouse, a loved one, a child, this season is a season where those feelings and emotions get exacerbated. And so we're left with both ands as a community. Every time we gather, it's this both and of those of us who are feeling joyful and got the Christmas parties, and then some of us who are longing for that sense of joy and of hope. And it might seem odd to have the scripture reading this morning. Granted, I started with all of the big words that I was meant to avoid, but the scripture reading this morning is from John the Baptist. And if you don't know much about John the Baptist, John the Baptist is the sort of guy who when he walks into your church, your office, your school, you maybe call security at that time, right? He's the sort of guy that like is, he's burly, he's like, he's wearing like camel skin, he's got like lotus in his beard. I mean, I know that some of us have some big beards, but I mean, his is, you know, out there, right? And he just kind of walks in and his presence feels out of place, especially within those who have to do within the Jerusalem crowd. And our scripture reading this morning seems a little bit out of place as well for the joyful feeling of Advent, right? Of Christmas time. His winnowing fork is in his hand as a reference to the baby Jesus that is coming is not the one that we think of when we think of the nativity scene together. But there's something about John the Baptist that proclaims joy and hope that I want to explore just a little bit today. You see, John the Baptist was mm, radical, to say the least, or uh, outcast is another way, or, you know, just not part of the in crowd. But John the Baptist spoke truth to a particular set of people. You see, it's hard for us, many of us, to read Scripture, 
in general. I think it's even harder for us to catch a glimpse of what some of the writers and prophets and speakers speak to because the Bible was written by and written for a people oppressed, oppressed by all sorts of societal structures that weighed heavy upon them. I mean, first of all, you had the Roman Empire and this sort of outskirt town on a, on a travel route from Greece and Asia Minor on the way to the more prominent city of Alexandria and Egypt. And so just this little city on the way where usually people just stop to get respite and to perhaps, you know, go into the temple to take the money that they needed. They were an oppressed people by the Roman Empire and they had been under the control of Rome, of Greece, of Babylonia. And on top of that, the people, the common people, not only felt the burdens of the Roman Empire, but they also had the burdens of the religious authorities of the time weighing heavy upon their shoulders. The religious authorities that not only were giving them all sorts of ways in which they must live their lives in accordance to their understanding of the Torah so that they might live rightly with God, but they were also asking their people to give over and above what they needed to, to the temple. They're offering, they're not just saying, hey, we need you to give 10%, but they're saying, hey, we need you to give 20%, 30%. 40% oppressing their own people through the structures of religion. And you can hear those words, can't you, within John the Baptist? Because what does he say? He says, make straight the path. The voice cries out in the wilderness. And then later on, after quoting scripture, he begins to tell the people that had gathered, what does this mean? And what does he tell them? but tax collectors don't take more than you ought. Soldiers don't, you know, hold something over the head of someone until they pay you. Priests don't ask for more than you should be expected. All of us clothe the naked and feed the hungry, he says. John the Baptist was a rebel to say the least. But John the Baptist was speaking to those on the margin, from the margin. He was speaking their sort of language of hope and what it looked like. See, because many of us find ourselves not on the margins of society. Most within our congregation that I come across are people that, you know, have college degrees or have, you know, badges to pin up on their uniforms. They have sort of ways in which we've lived our lives. We've gone through hardships, no doubt, but most of our congregation, when we gather, don't worry about the food that will be on their table later on in the day or the week or the months ahead. And so for some of us, we might wonder how these words of the, the margin might speak to us. And as a people, we, during this time, we, we celebrate and we gather and then we do things like we do Operation Christmas Child or we have our, our giving wreath on the back or we also have the ways in our giving tree and supporting local families. We support people and we give to those people and those causes. 
I was pastor of mission and evangelism in North Carolina at a larger church when I was serving right out of divinity school. And one of the things that I had to remind this congregation, of which a significant population of them had their master's degrees or PhD degrees, because it was a university town, is I had to remind us all that as we give and as we serve, we do not save. As we give and as we serve, we do not save. Because I think one of the temptations with those of us who have, as we partner with those who perhaps have not, is to think that, you know, we're giving them a hand up, making them better, more fully human, more fully capable of living their lives. But that's a temptation sometimes to feel like we are the ones to save them. One of my favorite movies might surprise you because it's uh, was two years after I was born, <laughs> which I came across later on. And so some of you, I'm telling you my age, I know this. But it's with Robert De Niro, and it's a movie called The Mission. You've seen this movie? Some of you seen this? It takes place in South America as the, you know, the Jesuits and the Spanish and the Portuguese are colonizing the areas. And uh, it takes place with this Jesuit priest that goes there to, uh, to, to start you know, a mission amongst some indigenous people there. And Robert De Niro, as one of the main characters, he uh, is a slave trader. So he would literally uh, take the indigenous people and then sell them to the plantations nearby. And eventually, you know, something goes wrong in his life. He, you know, kills his brother-in-law in a feud. And then he finds himself wanting to do penance because he interacts with this, this Jesuit priest. And so there's this radical scene where, you know, he's carrying up all of this, like, armor that, you know, that the different soldiers have and things. He's carrying up this cliffside with this Jesuit priest as they're going to meet with the indigenous uh, tribe that the Jesuit priest had started this mission with. And he goes there, and at the top of the mountain, because this was his penance that he had for himself, one of the indigenous members of the tribe, he takes a knife and he cuts this large boulder that maybe, you know, the package that he had been carrying up the cliffside, cuts it because he had saw how desperately this person was working. And he cuts the rope, and it, and it frees, and it's kind of this symbolic image of the baggage that he carried was set free, and he was just able to kind of live again. Later on in the movie, you truly see that Robert De Niro finds his home and his true identity amidst the tribe. In fact, he comes to a point where, uh, spoiler alert, where the Portuguese and the Spanish come in and they want to take over the area, and he comes to a point where he's told by the, all the authorities that he should leave, they should leave the tribe, but he stays with them and starts kind of a rebellion amongst them because he had found his home and his salvation in the movie amongst those he was going, the Jesuits originally had gone to save. He had found his home and his salvation there, and he stands alongside them in solidarity with them and finds his home. I invite you to watch that movie. Another story similar along these lines is of another Jesuit, a modern-day Jesuit in L.A., who started a ministry to help gang members that were trying to 
help them transition out of being in gangs to having an opportunity to thrive and grow. And so he went into inner city LA to save the gang members. And he started a ministry called Homeboy Ministries. And he, I think, has a TED Talk, and you can watch that as well. Just Google Homeboy Ministries TED Talk. And this Jesuit priest shares the story of not him saving those gang members, but him finding his own home and salvation amongst them. He has a famous quote, is that to say, we go to the margins to save those in need, but we go to the margins so that all can find their salvation. Because in relationship with those who are different than us, those in the margins, we can find hope together. See, because this is what John the Baptist was calling for, was calling for solidarity across the board. He says, the mountains will be raised low and the valleys shall come up and we will be united and together. God will gather all of us in as one. And that's the hope that Jesus was to bring. Because Jesus is ultimately the one who saves, after all. And Jesus is the one who gathers us in together. The rich, the poor alike. That doesn't mean, though, friends, that we shouldn't do all the good we can. Because that's what John the Baptist says, isn't it? After all, the mountains will be lowered and the valleys will be raised and we will stand in solidarity. And then he goes on to instruct them. Not that they needed to overthrow the empire, not that they needed to ransack the temple, but that they should do what they ought to do. They shouldn't overcharge. They shouldn't have an abundance while someone nearby has scarcity. That we should look out for the least of these. Not because we are better, because that's the way God's kingdom looks like. You know the kingdom for which we pray for, right? Every single Sunday when we gather, what is it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it does it go on to say, give some of us a feast during Thanksgiving and Christmas time while others go hungry. Give some of us extra earnings in our 401ks while others scrape by. No, it says give us our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those indebted to us. It's another translation. We usually say trespasses. But the Luke version, which is our gospel for this morning, says debts, a monetary value. God's kingdom is one where we together journey on a level playing field where someone's not better and someone's not worse, someone's not saving, someone's not needing to be saved. We are all in need of salvation. And the vision that John the Baptist has of joy for us, this candle that we lit, the pink one, <laughs> is one where joy 
is only fully recognized when all gather to celebrate together. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it make sense that one ought not to celebrate while the other goes hungry? But over and over again, God's people have to be reminded of this truth. And so as we gather for Advent, it's a reminder for us that the joy of Christ is a joy that calls us to ensure that others have the joy. To to ensure that others have the opportunity. That doesn't mean we save them. It just means that we want all to have the gift that Christ brings to the world. And I know it's a little bit of semantics, but it is just so important as to how we engage in relationships across the board. Whether it's with a colleague that needs help at work, or a teacher to a student, or even our kapuna to our keiki. It's not a hierarchical order in our community, but one where we're trying to come together, where we all have a seat, a voice, opportunity, where we have clothing and we have food. And you know, this in fact is part of what we have tried to instill this year within our Christmas giving. And we partner intentionally with Tandana organization over the years, and one of the reasons we value our partnership with Tandana is because they go into communities not necessarily saying to themselves, we know what you need, but they go into the communities and they ask the communities, what is it that you need? And so a, a few years ago, and last year we finished the project, we, we completed a, a well project in Mali on the continent of Africa. And, and we went in, and you know, you have the well infrastructure that you know, is recommended by the WHO or you know, whatever the agency that recommends it. And we went in, and they said, no, we don't want that well. We want another one that is better for their community because the animals can also have an area where they can go. It didn't follow the pattern that we were supposed to, but they listened to the people there, and so that's what we built alongside of them. And similarly, the wreath in the back as you leave the sanctuary is a wreath born out of the desires of a community for a community garden. And so if you go in the back, you can take an ornament off and you can give for the value of that ornament. And I know that for us, we're remote, we're distant, because we believe we want to serve globally. But our partner, we've been intentional with. And similarly, our partners with our local giving as well, partnering with Julie Wiggett, whose job is to support the families in public housing. And we have gift cards and basketballs. And you might wonder to yourself, well, what are these for? Because she, alongside some of the parents, had identified that if we get gift cards and and objects for them, we're not just going to gift them for Christmas, but we're going to help give them as reinforcements for positive work that they do in their schools and and that you know as a rewards for them as they're doing well to ensure that they're continuing with their education so that they can have 
an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't have had. So I invite you after the service to go to both those places. It doesn't mean, friends, that we don't serve. In fact, it means we serve all the more, but we don't fall into the temptation to think that we have saved them, which means that we ought to listen when we go to the margin and hear from the people what it looks like to find joy, to have a seat at the table. One of my career paths was wanting to be a professor. If you haven't noticed, I like to be academic sometimes. But I wanted to be a professor, and I was with some other uh, students in the Divinity School, and we came to a realization that it was becoming hard for white male theologians to find a job. <laughs> Which to some, they were like, I can't get a job after graduating. And then for me, I thought about it for a second. And I said, but isn't that a good problem to have? Because we've had a monopoly on this area for quite some time within the United States. And how important is it to have people of diverse experiences and backgrounds teaching our college students and our leaders within the church? Because the more voices that we hear that form us and that shape us help build a wider table for us all. John the Baptist calls out from the margins, make straight the path of the Lord. The mountains shall be low, the valleys shall be raised, and we shall gather home in joy together, all of us. And I know I like to have takeaway actions for us, and I gave you some, like the giving tree and the wreath. But for me, really, this time, this season, as, as we think through the things and the opportunities and the ways that we are called to serve during this season, is not just to give, but to find ways to listen and to be with the voices on the margins so that we might hear from a different perspective than our own, that we might grow our table wider that the doors and the walls of our home might be bigger and larger than they were before. And all of us can gather in to the love of God together. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and loving God, we know that your Son, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, who is coming, who we celebrate and anticipate, saves us. Gives us the dignity and the chosenness to be called your sons and daughters. Help all of us find our identity in those sacred gift of your son with us. And during this Advent season, as we look forward to celebrating with our family around Christmas and our, those that will gather in our home, 
Help us learn to broaden our view, our scope. To recognize that you have gathered all of us. Even that crazy John the Baptist who proclaims good news to an oppressed people. So help us see the places of pain and hurt. And help us bring up those valleys where we all can find a seat at your table. So gather us in. In your son's name, amen.